a canopy of pines on the eastern lake shore with the beauty outside at the end of the road off the edge of the dock in all four seasons it's table talk look back Okay, not too far back. It is the beginning of January, and this podcast, Table Talk with D. Lysak, is just finding its wings. One of the earliest recordings went something like this. Parrot or platypus? We have three dogs in the Black Lake pack. Br'er is our blind, brave, and bold English golden. She is absolutely beautiful. Penny is Br'er's seeing eye dog. She is kind, always kind. And then there is Sophie, the northern rescue dog. She is precocious and playful. We affectionately refer to her as our clown dog. She makes us laugh every day. We buy them stuffies, too many in fact. One of them is hanging on my laptop. The stuffy is kind of like a good luck charm. The other night I said out loud to no one in particular, You are a very cute platypus. To which Marianne replied, What platypus? I said, The one hanging on my laptop. She looked at me, perplexed, and said, That is a parrot. Look at the beak. Oh, well the feet. They look like a platypus. Either way, parrot or platypus, it is still hanging on my laptop, and there it will stay. So here we go, from parrot or platypus to porcupines and ponies. The place I call home is Black Lake, and it is north of Suneros. Some of the lakes that surround our waters include Mac Lake, Lost Lake, and Bug Lake. And the dirt roads take you to much-loved places, jumping off points for adventures of all sorts. This natural corridor, a winding, scenic stretch of waterways, islands, peninsulas, and more, we call this place the township of Suneros Nestor Falls. Dotting the landscape are fly-in fishing camps, outposts, working mines, logging operations, mills, brew houses, specialty shops, and so much more. If you have always called rural and remote northwestern Ontario your home, you have a lived experience that is curated by the great outdoors. Your ancestors may have been loggers or miners or fishing guides. Did they work on the steamships that carried passengers and cargo up from the Midwest to destinations on Lake of the Woods? Were your aunts and cousins, cooks and cleaners, seasonal workers who came to be summertime friends as holiday makers came to stay and play? Are your family camps down old logging roads, standing as sentinels in the timber of tall pines? When you are canoeing, camping, or cooking over an open fire, do you ever wonder who is watching? Who else walks with us? While porcupines 
and ponies, of course. According to the Canadian Encyclopedia, of the world's 23 species, only the North American porcupine occurs in Canada, throughout mainland forests and thickets. The North American porcupine is also known as the Canadian porcupine and is our nation's second largest rodent, weighing up to 18 kilograms and growing up to 103 centimeters long. It has a stout, black and yellowish body, bearing 30,000 sharp, slightly barbed quills on upper parts and tail. When cornered, a porcupine erects its quills and lashes its tail. Quills are easily dislodged from the porcupine's skin, but cannot be thrown. They are prey to fishers and wolverines. The predators avoid the quills by attacking the almost quill-free head of the porcupine. Slow moving, porcupines are vulnerable to automobiles and fires. Usually solitary, porcupines sometimes share good dens or feeding areas. They eat bark buds and the leaves and twigs of trees and other plants. Porcupines are also known to gnaw on salty objects like paddles and wooden hammers and can be found in farmers' corn and alfalfa fields. A porcupine produces one offspring at a time. Did you know that a baby porcupine is called a porcupet? It is born about seven months after fall mating. A porcupet can climb trees a few hours after birth and is eating green plants in only two weeks. In three months, this baby porcupine is weaned. Unlike their stolid parents, porcupets are quite playful. These denizens of field and forests have roamed planet Earth for a millennia. To share the stories of porcupines with the youngest amongst us, find children's books like Henry the Prickly Porcupine, written by Lynn Ann Cooper and illustrated by Hannah Cheshire. And Peter Porcupine, First Day of Class, story by Julie Lind Ansarez, and pictures by Sakshi. You can find more facts about these wild things by visiting birdsoutsidemywindow.org and I'm a Porcupet, a blog of birds and nature with Kate St. John. Or go to the Hinterland Who's Who or Canadian Geographic to learn more about these solitary creatures. Speaking of independent souls, the only marsupial in North America is the Virginian opossum, commonly called a possum. The origin of the words possum and opossum date to the early 17th century, and there is evidence of opossum dating all the way back to 1610. Textbooks, encyclopedias, and science publications favor opossum. But when it comes to general speech and writing, possum is the far more common choice. And it leads us to this famous idiom, to play possum, which means to pretend to be asleep or dead. It comes from a trick the Virginia opossum does. When it's caught, it goes catatonic. But there's more to this story. While the Virginia opossum makes its home across large swaths of North America, there's another group of marsupials who are also referred to with both possum and opossum. Yes, it's true. 
you have to go all the way to the land down under to find the chiefly arboreal marsupial mammals of Australia and New Guinea. They are referred to by those who live there as possums, or sometimes opossums. Getting even more technical, the term phalanger accurately refers to the creatures of Australia, Tasmania, New Guinea, and islands west of Celebes and east to the Solomons. I have found a special place in my heart for both, the ones close to home and the others from faraway lands. Let me introduce you to a Facebook page that I simply adore. It is called Possums and All Sorts. And just the other day, this most lovely poem found its way into my newsfeed. And with their permission, I share it with you. If you listen and watch the animals, you will see that they live too, that they have meaningful lives the same as me and you, that they have family business with tasks and stuff to do, essential food to gather, and sorting kids out too. If you listen and watch the animals, you will see their crucial role their important place on earth that makes the world so whole. The world belongs to them, not just to me and you. And they have valuable lives with vital things to do. If you listen and watch the animals, you will see their hearts and minds. You will know their love and thoughts and that earth is for all kinds. Mankind is not unique. We are an animal too. And though we're all quite different, they're just like me and you. This poem, this day, a universal truth laid bare that Mother Earth is for all kinds, all sentient beings. Thank you, possums and all sorts, for all that you do and all that you say. Words matter. I love you to the moon and back. If porcupines, possums, and opossums walk with us, who came before us? Who ambled on woodland trails long before our great-grandparents came to these shores? The Ojibwe ponies. The history is fascinating, and so too is every effort that has been made to save the Ojibwe pony from extinction. This story is one that haunts and inspires. Is the heist across the ice how the Ojibwe pony was saved? The source of this story is spirithorses.ca. Walpole Island has the distinction of being unceded territory. In fact, Walpole Island has never been founded, established, set apart, or surveyed as a reserve. Walpole Island First Nation is situated between Lakes Huron and Erie in southern Ontario. The Ojibwe Potawatomi and Ottawa are the three tribes who live here. Although the Potawatomi settled permanently at Walpole Island only after 1836, they had used the territory of southwestern Ontario at a much earlier date. Having a common heritage, the three formed the Three Fires Confederacy. In the early days, indigenous wild horses, known as Walpole Island ponies, thrive on the islands and could be seen from the mainland in Wallaceburg, Ontario, across the River Snye on St. Anne's Island. 
centenarian Patricia Mann Henry tells in the Walpole Island archives that on a hot summer's day, beachgoers, hearing the pounding hooves of running ponies, quickly gathered up their belongings, vacating the beach. Scores of Indigenous horses emerged out of the woods onto the beach and into the water to cool off. As more and more people settled the land, agricultural development shrunk the native grazing grasses, and the wild ponies were at odds with farmers and their livelihoods. As colonization continues and grazing land is turned into farmland, wild horses and the buffalo are in the way. Thousands of Ojibwe ponies are culled. Even the missionaries want the horses destroyed because breeding in the wild offends their Puritan sensibilities, and they do not want the children to see what is natural in nature. Competing priorities in the 1960s and early 70s lead to horses being auctioned off first for recreational use, and then the remaining horses are captured, destined for slaughter plants, glue factories, and pet food. People share stories of screaming horses being loaded onto trucks, anxiously awaiting their fate. After only knowing the woods and the wild, these beautiful herds are gone, lost to those who had lived with them in harmony for so long. Is this where our tale ends? Was this the end of the era of the Walpole Island ponies? The Ojibwe spirit horse is rewriting the history books. Historians believe that horses were brought to North America by Spanish and European colonization. However, Indigenous elders said, the little horses were always here, just like the other wildlife, like the deer, elk, moose, and bison. The recent discovery of the birch bark scrolls from the 1300s depict horses, and DNA samples from glacial melts are proving the elders spoke the truth. The little horses were always here on Turtle Island. As the legend goes, only four Ojibwe mares lived, namely Lillian, Bishki, Darkface, and Diamond. Found only on the island of Lac La Croix in northern Ontario. In the late 1970s, Canadian health officials reportedly deemed the four remaining horses a health risk and made plans to destroy them. To prevent the loss of these last sacred horses, four men from Bois Fort, Minnesota and Lac La Croix, Fred Isham, Wally Olson, Walter Satelli, and Omar Hyde, loaded the horses onto a trailer. They traveled across a frozen lake to a private property in Minnesota, and this rescue is known as Heist Across the Ice. In good faith, Terry Jenkins, John Baston, Rhonda Snow, and others have made Herculean efforts to save these horses so that they would not be gone forever. To this day, a small and highly dedicated group of Ojibwe spirit horse caretakers work to preserve these little horses of the big woods. Stallions and mares live across Canada, including the Lac La Croix First Nation and the Seine River First Nation. Ojibwe ponies can also be found in Alberta, Quebec, Chatham-Kent, Ontario, and in the southern state of Alabama. 
Closer to home, a small herd lives near the border town of Fort Francis, and I am more than grateful that they do. Stories are memoirs, not fact, not fiction. Historians may poke holes in the salient points. Fact-checkers may take umbrage with this recording. So be it. There are scores of places to find similar recollections and remembrances. One day, I hope to meet the Ojibwe ponies, to see how history lives on. Until then, I will have to find joy in the porcupines that share the canopy of tall pines with me and those I hold most dear. It is time to go for a walk. Let's grow, Brer and Penny. Come with me, Sophie. For the wild and the rural, under canopy of pines, on the eastern lake shore, with the beauty outside. At the end of the road, off the edge of the dock, in all four seasons it's table talk. Before I sign off, I want to recognize the team who makes this podcast possible. My hat's off to Bill Stunden, our trusted and talented tech producer. For the music that cues the beginning and end of the podcast, a shout out to Red Moon Road, the ubiquitous fun folk band of Daniel, Sheena, and Daniel. Yes, there really are two Daniels. Wanda Cable and Marianne Mooring, thank you both for always giving me the courage to create and for cheering me on from the sidelines. Last but not least, the township of Sunero's Nestor Falls for greenlighting this project and for making it entirely possible. Let Table Talk with D. Lysak be an offering at your kitchen table, early in the morning or late in the evening, bridging divides and welcoming new perspectives. If you happen to be enjoying the podcast in the company of friends and family while sipping on a neat Irish whiskey, all the better. And on that note, I want to thank you for listening and for sharing your time with me. <laughs>